Good evening. Welcome to National Capital Bible Church and our continuing study of the book of Job. Job tonight. We will, I think I promised last time that we'll study Job's arrival at humility and that's where we will begin tonight. We always take a few seconds for spiritual preparation. Spiritual preparation, of course, consists of confession of sins, and confession of sins will be mentioned tonight as we address humility, and also focusing on the text of Scripture, the service, uh, instead of wandering around in our minds for those things which seem to be very important to us during the day. The Lord is my life and my deliverance. Whom shall I whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I fear? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Tonight, let's take just a few seconds for spiritual preparation. Closing our eyes, bowing our heads. And then I will open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the lessons that Job learned. Uh, we know that this book, the book of Job, was not simply retained in the canon of Scripture so that we would have a historical account of Job, but it's designed to teach us also uh, how our lives very often seem to be a disaster when in reality, it is you testing us, testing our spiritual lives. And uh, very often, if not more often than not, uh, we find testing to be um, beyond our capability. We pray, Father, as we study tonight uh, the doctrine of humility, that we'll understand even more uh, one of the uh, one of the lessons that Job learned, and that is relying on you, not on himself, uh, not listening to others, simply leaning on you and allowing you to direct our paths. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, as we begin our study tonight, as I said, we're in Job, and last week we uh, we studied Job 42, and this is Job's response to the Lord. As a matter of fact, I went over this timetable, book of Job. We have God's two speeches, his addresses to Job, and then we have Job's replies. God's first speech, Job 38, 1 through 42, 40, verse 2. Uh, we also have Job's first reply to God, which is very short. 
Job 43 through 5, God's second speech, which begins in verse 6 of chapter 40, uh, extending to the end of chapter 41. And then as we begin chapter 42, which is the last chapter of the book of Job, the first six verses uh, are Job's, his reply. Let's read these six verses so that we understand what is happening in Job's life. Job knew that he was living a a righteous life, but he was being challenged by his friends that the disasters in his life were uh, for discipline. Uh, And Job, in his despondency, or we could even say his his depression, uh, he was challenged to understand why uh, the events in his life were occurring. And again, as I said, I think this is precisely what happens to us. Um, we have something occurred occur in our lives, and we are challenged by it. Of course, that's the design that God has given us, uh, is to be challenged so that as we are challenged, we may continue to grow spiritually. So, verse 1 is simply the intro to our uh, six verses. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know, Job, I, Job, know that you, God, can do everything and that no purpose or no plan or will of yours can be withheld from you. Uh, withheld here means to be uh, thwarted. So no purpose can be thwarted from you. Verse 3, you, God, ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Hides counsel may be a little difficult for us. Uh, it means to conceal or to disregard. Who disregards my counsel might be what God is saying here without having an understanding of what you're saying. Therefore, I, Job, have uttered what I did not understand. I think I said he spoke out of turn very often. We say that to children. Listen, don't speak out of turn. Or at least I remember hearing it once or twice. Verse 4. Listen, please, and let me speak. This is Job speaking. You, God again, I, uh, I, God, will question you, Job, and you, Job, shall answer me. Verse 5. I have heard of you. And this is Job saying, yes, I acknowledge that I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And I don't believe that 
what he's saying here is that I'm absolute. Now I'm seeing God because we know that no one has seen God. There may be someone who has come like an angel, uh, the angel of the Lord. But again, I think this is merely a figure of speech, meaning that I thought I had a knowledge. Uh, previously, I had a knowledge of you, but now I'm truly, uh, I'm truly able to observe uh, what you have given me, what you have told me, uh, the events in my life. Verse 6. Therefore, I, Job, abhor myself, uh, or I reject what I've previously said or done and repent in dust and ashes. So Job's response here is uh, to God's correction. God has corrected him. And his response is to confess and to express his humility through the the action of covering himself in dust and ashes. Okay. So last week, last week we read Job's response to God's address to Job. And in his response, Job quotes God's question. Who is this? Who hides counsel without knowledge? In other words, God had asked Job, who questions God, who questions God's actions, when that person doesn't have the knowledge, doesn't have the background, doesn't have information, the intellect, even to approach God. And that's the situation that Job finds himself. But I think we have to understand that when we are facing adversity, we will forget, forget who God is. So Job comes to the conclusion that he was wrong and lacks the understanding to question God. God is too far above Job. In fact, all human beings, for him to comprehend God's will and plan. Uh, it's just beyond us to be able to comprehend what God's plan, his will, what he is doing. God's question, as were all his questions, that question was designed to bring Job to a place where Job would realize that what God is doing is too wonderful for me to understand. These wonderful things include both joyful and difficult times, we would say, testing or discipline. In this case, finally, Job is brought to a place and understanding of his failure simply to trust God, realizing that God loves him and is doing what is divinely the best for him. And again, that's a difficult lesson for us to learn as well. So what we see in Job 42.6 is the submission of Job to God's plan for his life, submitting to God his plan and what he desires or what he has pre-planned is difficult for us because we have our own plan for our lives or our own desires, our own 
once. Uh, as far as Job is concerned, all that has happened to him uh, was part of God's plan. And yes, Satan was the action behind the disasters in his life, but God approved of those actions, knowing that this was a tremendous test for Job, who was a mature believer. So God allows this to occur. Job now sees himself as a shameful child of God who must repent. We would more than likely use the term confess. Confess and change his attitude towards himself, his situation, and, of course, towards God. Job must, Job must return to humility. And that's where we will begin tonight, or at least continue tonight. Principles of humility. Um, principles of humility are not always easy to understand because I think almost anyone, particularly believers who understand humility, would say that they are humble. Uh, as a matter of fact, some are even proud of their humility, as we often say. But humility is not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because we have a sin nature. And our sin nature leads us down the path of arrogance all too often. And so humility uh, is one of the critical um, assets or characteristics that we really must develop as we grow spiritually. So let's begin <clears throat> with some introductory scripture and concepts. Uh, if I was to ask who in our in the Word of God was considered to be one of the uh, most humble men, we would probably not necessarily go immediately to Moses. But Moses, in Numbers 12.3, is described as being the most humble man the most humble man in the world. And his humility is an illustration for us in orientation to authority. Moses. Now, let's turn to Numbers 12. Numbers 12, 3. One of the tests that Moses encountered is found in chapter 12 of Numbers. And it happened to be a challenge to his authority as the leader of the Israelites. And I know that as the youngest child in this family, uh, it was probably not easy for Miriam and Aaron to follow Moses. But that was the position that God had given to Moses. And I find this verse, verse 3, Now the man of Moses, now the man Moses, was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. That's a remarkable statement 
particularly as we remember Moses' early life. We would not choose him as being a very humble individual. As a matter of fact, um, just skipping forward into his life, when he meets the Lord on Mount Sinai the first time, uh, he is absolutely not interested in submitting to God's authority. I'm sending you to Egypt. No way. I'm not going to Egypt. And I don't think Moses really uh, enjoyed going to Egypt until he finally left Egypt many, many months later. But Numbers 12.3 tells us that Moses was not only humble, but he was very humble. Moses and humility, orientation to authority. Uh, you'll notice if Moses didn't start out as a humble individual, it probably took him a while to arrive at that, having that attitude, which tells us that we're not born perfect. We don't have to be perfect. Uh, our spiritual life slowly develops and maybe prior to us departing the earth, we'll arrive at a, a, a spiritual, spiritually mature position. Uh, and that is where God wanted us to be. And he will praise us or he will uh, reward us for that. He's not going to reward us for the fact that we were uh, opposing to this orientation to authority. God the Holy Spirit includes this verse, Numbers 12, 3, which is a parenthesis, is just stuck in there, so that we understand that Moses wasn't, wasn't an arrogant individual, and that was not the problem that Miriam and, and Aaron had. So that's a, it's a parenthesis to set the context for the reader. Moses has not been overbearing or prideful in his leadership. God has chosen him to be the leader, and it was not a position that he desired nor sought, as I've explained. He didn't want to retain this. It's not something he wanted. Remember, uh, several times under the uh, challenge of the, of the Israelites, Moses was ready to give it up. So it wasn't something he, he desired to retain. Moses may have his faults, but apparently one that kept him from, and, and one that kept him from the, uh, promised land was his anger. He, he, he could get angry. He could lose his temper. But arrogance, self-centeredness was not one of those faults. God's training had molded his life. So that his spiritual life, his God-centeredness, not self-centeredness, but God-centeredness, comes first. Humility is a focus on God, not self. And Miriam and Aaron were focused on themselves. Secondly, we have orientation to life. We have three of these orientations. There could probably be others, but these three will help us. Orientation to authority. Moses, Numbers 12, 3, orientation to life. 
uh, I'm just simply going to insert the believer here, orientation to life, 1 Peter 5, 5, 7. So 1 Peter 5, we were here on Sunday, I believe. 1 Peter 5, 5. This is Peter teaching humility. Verse 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves. This is uh, uh, being humble. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what we have here is a verse or a a passage that links being submissive to humility. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he, God, may exalt you in due time. And verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Peter is directing the believers to be clothed with humility. He explains humility to be submissive to others. Uh, We probably find this uh, difficult. Uh, The submissiveness here means that we have an approach to others that is not arrogance, not prideful. Peter's specifically speaking to believers, being submissive to other believers. God opposes the proud but is gracious to the humble. When we submit ourselves, we are submitting to God. That's what this is be, what we're being told here. We can easily turn to Ephesians uh, 5:21 and find that Paul tells us the same, gives us the same command that we are to be submissive towards one another. So we, when we submit ourselves to others, we are submitting to God. God did not place us on this earth to strut and resent others. Our example is Jesus through or during his earthly ministry. His humility was always evident. And then orientation to self, humility, orientation to self. And we'll see David, David's orientation to himself. He was, uh, David was uh, pursued uh, by uh, the, uh, the king of Israel, Saul, for a good portion of his life. And it was during these times and then other times as well that he really had to understand who he as himself was and how he should relate to God. So our orientation to self, let's go back to Psalm 34. 
verses 1 and 2. And we begin with I, and this is David. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times, at all times, Uh, not just periodically, not when things are going well, but at all times. And, of course, that is also taught in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. I think on Sunday I said 1 Corinthians 5, but it's 1 Thessalonians where we're told to uh, rejoice evermore. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 2, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord, not in myself, but in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, meaning others who will hear this, and let us exalt his name, his character, his person, Together, And so this is hopefully a way for us to understand that our orientation to self is really an orientation to God here. Um, we do not boast about ourselves or what we have accomplished. We do not take credit for our achievements. To God be the glory, even for the fact that we are alive. God keeps us alive. And so we praise him for that. To God be the glory for the abilities that he has given us. Uh, There are some who are very proud of their abilities, of their talents. They came from God. God gave them to you. Uh, He could have given you no talents, but he gives you talents. To God be the glory for the opportunities to do anything. God gives us opportunities, an opportunity for a job, an opportunity for friends, an opportunity for uh, various factors in our lives. God gives those to us. Uh, We should pray for opportunities to glorify him, to represent him to others. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy towards me. That should be our attitude, his grace and his mercy towards us. All right. Now, no uh, principles of humility or doctrine of humility would be uh, complete without a definition. And if you go to any dex- uh, definition and you're trying to come up with a definition for something like humility, you will need to uh, have it expressed that humility is the quality or characteristic of being humble. Humility is the quality or characteristic of being humble, of being humble, free from pride and self-absorption. In other words, uh, thinking of ourselves all the time. Scripture uses humility. It uses humility both positively, favorably, we would say, uh, so we have a proper orientation, and also negatively. Uh, And very often, someone who is uh, described in humble conditions or situation Uh, It's used in that way, but it's also used for self-abasement. 
in that sense. The word connotes the overriding quality of orientation to authority. So that's where we start. We're also going to discuss uh, the orientation to life and orientation to self. But it begins, humility begins with our orientation to authority, uh, realizing that God is the uh, the orientation of the world. He is uh, the sovereign God. He is the creator. And so we need to have that orientation to him. Point three. Point three. Biblical humo- uh, humility is recognition of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, and submitting to that authority. So humility, biblical humility, is recognition of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably God the Father is maybe a better place to insert that. And submitting to that authority. James writes uh, in James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the presence or in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Uh, Submitting to him, he is the one that exalts us. So we submit ourselves to him. This is a mandate to be be oriented to the divine authority and occupied with Christ so that uh, you depend, you rely on him, not on self, in every circumstance in life. Uh, I think that it's, it's difficult to be occupied with Christ, uh, to be occupied with God and what he's doing, uh, what he's doing for us, because we have a tendency to focus on the job at hand. And uh, we have the sense that we're accomplishing it. But God is there with us. God, whether it's uh, God's plan, specifically his plan or something he's allowing or if it's God the Holy Spirit who is helping us, uh, we should be thankful for everything that occurs in our life, every circumstance in life. We should rely on God. We should depend on him. Four, relying on God in every circumstance of life removes me. So relying on God in every circumstance of life removes me as the central part of life's equation. And it demonstrates proper orientation to life. Relying on God in every circumstance of life removes the me as a central part of life, of life's equation, and demonstrates proper orientation to life. Relying on self produces disappointment and frustration. How many times have we been disappointed or frustrated for situations in life? And it's because we are not we are not relying on God, relying on self. And by the way, uh, even if we fail when we are relying on God, it's nowhere near as frustrating because we realize that it is God 
who is leading us and taking care of us. So if we're frustrated uh, or if we fail, then what do we do? We're thankful to God. Uh, Very often there are certain things that we really don't want uh, if we had them. But that's another story probably. Five, since the Bible is the mind of Christ, submission to authority of the Lord demands consistent perception, assimilation, and application of his word. So since the Bible is the mind of Christ, which we're told in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, since the Bible is the mind of Christ, submission to the authority of the Lord demands consistent perception, assimilation, and application of his word. We need to perceive it, we need to assimilate it, and we need to apply his word. Only then and with the filling of God the Holy Spirit is our soul controlled or brought low, humbled. Humbled, we understand who we are. To neglect or reject the word of God is indicative of preoccupation with self and rebellion towards God. And the Apostle Paul tells that in Romans 1, 18 through 25. Uh, rejecting God is simply arrogance. Uh, we believe in ourselves, not in God. We worship God, not ourselves, or something that we create. So neglect or rejection of the word of God is indicative of preoccupation with self and rebellion towards God. Six, point six, while the noun humble has many definitions and uh, they range from feeling of insignificance and a feeling of inferiority to being low in rank or lower in importance, But none of these definitions relate to the biblical word. Biblical humility is neither derogatory nor undue self-deprecation. So uh, while the noun humble has many definitions, biblical humility is neither derogatory nor undue undue self-deprecation. It is not degrading oneself or self-effacement, nor is it asceticism. Self-effacement is often based on false humility. So part of point six here is that uh, biblical humility is not degrading oneself. Uh, It's something that comes with spiritual maturity, a humble attitude. So uh, it's not degrading oneself or self-effacement or asceticism. Self-effacement is often based on false humility. And that's the next point. We'll look at asceticism. Humility, all forms of asceticism are related to the most subtle forms of pride and arrogance. So all forms of asceticism are related to the most subtle forms of pride and arrogance. 
Asceticism is a labor of self-promotion disguised as self-denial. So humility should not be associated with asceticism. Asceticism is based on subtle forms of pride and arrogance. There are many who try to present themselves in, in an ascetic way, dressing poorly, being uh, groveling, various things. Studying church history, we very often see people who would deny food. Uh, they would deny bathing, grooming. Uh, they would wander off into the wilderness uh, and then come back to demonstrate uh, how, uh, how their, their life of self-denial was some form of spiritual maturity. There are many um, who believe themselves to be extraordinarily mature spiritually who would live in trees or live on the live on poles. It's just unbelievable how they would do these things. And they were ascetics, believed in asceticism. But that's not true humility. Ascetics always want others to know of their sacrifice or their pitiful life. Biblical humility is an attitude one has. Biblical humility is an attitude one has towards self, which is reasonable, accurate, and based on a relationship with the Lord. That's what humility is. It's not something that you deny yourself. Humility objectively evaluates one's own life in the light of what the Word of God teaches. That's humility. Uh, we gain humility from applying the Word of God. Point eight. Biblical humility as an expression of Bible doctrine in the soul is an understanding of our own helplessness and an appreciation of what God and His grace has done for us. So, Biblical humility is an understanding of our own helplessness and an appreciation of what God and his grace has done for us. And that is expressed as we develop, as we grow Bible doctrine in the soul. So biblical humility as an expression of Bible doctrine in the soul is an understanding of our own helplessness and an appreciation of what God in grace has done for us. Um, most of us uh, have a sense of uh, our own ability. And very often uh, we're very pride, prideful of that. Uh, many athletes, many professors, doctors can be very prideful of what they're able to do. When in reality, it's what God is allowing them to do, helping them to do. And so we need to remember that our lives, our success is based upon his grace and what he's doing for us. Once we understand that God the creator is the central figure in his plan for our lives, and we are his creatures, we learn proper orientation to self. Then we're oriented to ourselves. 
We're not arrogant. We understand it's God's grace. Biblical humility is the very core of Christian integrity and virtue. So humility, it's important. It's critical. Point nine, sort of in in summation here. Point nine, humility, therefore, is proper orientation to authority. We would say organizations and people. Life, people and circumstances, and to self. And I just kind of threw in, guess who? To us, individually. So humility, therefore, is proper orientation to authority, to life, and to self. And that's just a very quick summation of what we have. But it's not the end. Point 10. Humility produces objectivity and teachability. Humility produces objectivity and teachability. Arrogant people are subjective and non-teachable. Periodically, when I was in seminary, there would be certain students that would argue with the uh, professor. And as you as you listen to them uh, argue, and I'm not saying they couldn't offer a divergent opinion. That's fine. But if they believed, these individuals believed that they had a better approach to a passage or to the grammar or something, you, in listening to them, you could tell that they either were uh, completely missing this, the uh, the point that the professor was trying to make, or they had made up their mind prior to what the professor had to say, and didn't make any difference what the professor said. They were simply unteachable, non-teachable, and that's unfortunately that's unfortunate. We've all encountered people who already know all there is to be known about everything, and one problem they possess is that they simply will not listen to the other positions or opinions because that person, they've decided, is below them. I already know more than what you know. They mature only in the school of hard knocks if they ever truly mature. Point 11, objectivity is a prerequisite for teachability. And teachability is a prerequisite for spiritual growth. Subjectivity doesn't, doesn't take us to maturity. Objectivity is a prerequisite for teachability. Being objective, listening, learning, accepting, or having a reason why you're not going to accept it but it needs to come through objectivity. So objectivity is a prerequisite for teachability, and teachability is a prerequisite for spiritual growth. And then 12. In the spiritual life, confession is based on humility. We're not going anywhere if we don't understand confession of sins. And confession is based upon Humility. So in the spiritual life, confession is based on humility. 
Arrogance blinds the, the believer from recognition of sin. Arrogance blinds the believer from recognition of sin. The confession of the sin does not take emotional angst. You know, every now and then someone thinks that they really need to be emotional over confession. That, it doesn't take that. But it does require an acknowledge of failure in the spiritual life and disobedience, disobedience of the word of God. So I'll repeat that. The confession of sin does not take emotional angst, but it does require an acknowledgement of failure. It does require an acknowledgement of failure in the spiritual life and disobedience of the word of God. And that's why learning the word of God is critical to spiritual growth. Learning the word of God is critical to spiritual growth. Reviewing the text of scripture, reading it, understanding it, uh, helps us to know right from wrong. Now, most of us will know right from wrong. It's God the Holy Spirit convicts us one way or the other. But spiritual growth is based upon our humility and what we learn from the Word of God. All right, very quickly here in summation, I guess I could say this time. The examples. Well, example of humility, we could go right back to Moses. As a matter of fact, I don't think I used Moses as my first example. I think I used Job. But let's go to Deuteronomy 34. So you might want to use Moses here again, since he was uh, the most humble man. I love the way that his life ends. And the epilogue to Deuteronomy 34 uh, the epilogue to Deuteronomy, chapter 34, Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. Verse 9 says, Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of, uh, of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses has laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him, they obeyed him, uh, and they did as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 10 but since then, there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In other words, who uh, taught Moses, we might say, face to face. But face to face here is a, a figure. It's a figure uh, because no one has uh, been face to face with God. So. It means that he he had a close relationship with God. In all the signs and, mo- and munders, munders, which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his, ser- his servants, and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror, which Moses performed performed in the sight of all Israel. Uh, Moses uh, was humble, and God rewarded him. Job, Job, Job 42, 1 through 6, we see the humility that we've just read to begin this, uh, uh, this message. 
Job 42, 1, 6. Job comes to the point where he abhors himself. He, re- he opposes himself. He rejects himself where he says, I'm abhor. Uh, he comes to the point of humility. Jesus. Jesus was uh, his uh, uh, ministry. His ministry was extraordinary through his entire uh, life on earth. He continued throughout his life, demonstrated humility. Philippians, I'm going to go back to Philippians 2, 5. Philippians, Philippians 2, Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what kind of a mind was that? Well, let's back into verse 3. Verse 3 says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, uh, pride, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Therefore, when we get to five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, uh, what we would say here is that he did not believe it was something that was uh, grasped, held on, um, the equality with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Humility. And then Paul, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12:10 and Philippians 3. We're in Philippians, so we'll just stay in Philippians. Philippians 3, Philippians 3:12:14. Paul, Paul described himself as the chief of sinners. Probably one of the more talented of uh, Bible characters would be the Apostle Paul. But he did, he never considered himself to arriving in his spiritual life. He says in verse 12, Philippians 3 verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, not having reached maturity. This is the Apostle Paul. He considered himself still growing, spiritual. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. God had provided the Apostle Paul with a ministry and it was, it was God who was providing for him, leading him, maturing him. Verse 13, Breath, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, to having achieved or attained. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the gold of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, and I think one of the more difficult things for us to do is to, is to forget our failures. Paul says, but one thing 
I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. In other words, forget the failures, knowing that God has a plan for us and our spiritual lives. We have, there is no one who hasn't had failures in their lives. Some of them are truly embarrassing. I would imagine for the Apostle Paul, uh, having killed Christians was a very, uh, standing right there watching Stephen being stoned, has to be a, a stressful thing for him. But he had to move on from those things so that he could serve effectively. And that's what he's telling us here. Second Corinthians 12.10. Second Corinthians 12.10. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure. This is Second Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12.10. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. Another word there would be weaknesses in reproaches, in needs, in perfect, in uh, persecutions, in distresses, difficulties, we could say, inflictions, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So God's grace is sufficient for us. And our strength is made, our weakness is made strength when we are submitting ourselves to to God, and that's what it's being what it says by what the uh, what uh, the Lord said to the Apostle Paul: My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for uh, this remarkable. Uh, understanding of humility and humility is uh, is a a true challenge to us because our our sin nature has a tendency to promote ourselves to exalt ourselves even when we think that we uh, are humble when we are uh, exhibiting humility we very often are proud of that and so Father, help us as we orient ourselves to authority, to life, and to ourselves, that this will help us, this will pull us along the path of spiritual maturity. And as we, as we uh, trod that path, then we will understand submissiveness, submissiveness to you and to others. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.